This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is a special edition of America Changed Forever, Capital in Crisis from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. The United States Capitol survived many things in the past, well, being burned down for one when the British sacked it in 1814, but bombings, shootings, but still nothing quite like what we saw this past week. U.S. Capitol has been placed on lockdown as angry protesters surround the building. Uh, But then if you look up here onto the inauguration stage, you can see there's a large number of people. We've watched Republican Kevin McCarthy confirmed just a few minutes ago that shots have been fired inside the Capitol. Reporters and lawmakers alike were barricading themselves in various uh, rooms and offices and hideaways. Steve Dorsey is a CBS News correspondent who was in the Capitol this week when it was overrun. Steve, how are you? And I actually mean that in this case. It's not just something to say politely. How are you? You know, physically, I'm safe, but emotionally, I am uh, living in a surreal world like the rest of this country. Let's take you to where you were when this happened and when you first knew that something was amiss. Well, I was working in what we call the the House Radio and TV Correspondence Gallery. So this is the House side, third floor. It's about 20 feet from my booth to the entrance uh, through the hall, the marble hall, uh, into the balconies that you see in the House chamber. And I was continuing my work covering this joint session of Congress when about an hour into it, I heard shouting in the hallway and I peeked my head out of the door and I saw police, Capitol police running through the hall and they were quickly locking each door to the house chamber. And when they saw me, they said, get back in, secure the door, close the door now. So I, I, I closed the door And I heard, along with the rest of the reporters in that workspace and the Congressional Press Gallery staff, commotion outside just that that wooden door, that heavy wooden door that separated us. And we heard the chants of protesters echoing through the halls as they were entering the building. USA, USA, they were shouting. uh, And then we could feel them, we could hear them get closer. And then we heard a lot of of clashes with police. Uh, We heard police yelling. Uh, we had radios going off, uh, and then ultimately um, it was a bit of silence. And we looked out the window, uh, which uh, 
casts out over the West Front, the 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 the, the mall, seeing the uh, Washington Monument in the distance, and then the Lincoln Memorial, and see these thousands of protesters, and they're swarming and climbing up the structure that they had built for uh, the inauguration in, in just a couple weeks. And, uh, and and that's where a lot of protesters had entered the building and forced their way in through windows and, and broken doors. And then there was some silence on, on the on the floor where we, we were located. Everything was locked. There's an announcement that says, please stay. Uh, do not open the door. Uh, do not leave. And then a thump, 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 thump on the door as uh, people outside told us to open it up. And at that point, we didn't know whether they were protesters or police. And then they eventually they said, Capitol Police, open it up. And, and the thumping got harder. And the director of the press gallery came over. She she peeked through the door and saw these two police officers who uh, told us they were evacuating us and to quickly gather whatever we could. And we had to leave immediately. They took us through the corridors underneath the Capitol, those tunnels, those escalators that we see and and those reporter stakeouts of of senators and, and members of the house. And we entered through uh, a guarded area into an undisclosed location. They put us in a, a workspace in the Rayburn office building. And we stayed there for a few hours until we were told by police we could re-enter the Capitol. And it was a, it was a surreal moment because it was like, like the, like the allies had recaptured enemy territory. You know, we had to show our press ID. People were calm. There wasn't this tension that was there, but it was starting to set in about what had just happened over the last few hours. And then we got to we got back to work covering Congress. When you heard the chanting in, in the hallways and realized that the Capitol itself had security had been breached. I mean, what went through your mind? Disbelief. Really, because I myself, as a working reporter, had to go through several layers of new security because we, we knew protests were happening. Already roads were closed. So I had to show my, my congressional press pass through several layers of police. I had to go through a TSA-style checkpoint. And then in just a moment, all these protesters made their way into the House. We heard them. And then we saw from the Senate side protesters take control of the Senate chamber enter the podium we heard uh, these reports uh, of gunfire going on um in in the house we don't know if they were armed who was shooting uh we don't know if there was an active shooter situation going on um so that was i think the tense moments when all of us realized uh, how uh important of a story this had become when you were evacuated over in rayburn did you see any members of congress no and that's because at that point uh, all the lawmakers had been evacuated to other locations, uh, not just in the building that we were in, uh, but also in the basements of other buildings, including uh, Longworth and um, over in the um, the Senate side, uh, Russell, uh, as police tried to evacuate. It seemed like room by room, methodically knocking on all these doors, uh, looking for any protesters they might have missed. That way they could clear the building and then organize everyone to come back and, and resume this joint session of Congress. And do we know yet why everybody, because it, it was one of the shocking things to law enforcement officers who were watching it around the country and who I've talked to, was the fact that people were just the, the people who had come into the Capitol illegally were allowed to just leave instead of 
you know, being arrested within the Capitol, the people in the rotunda not being forced to, you know, lie down, wait to be cuffed. How much of a how much of a shock was that? And what were people on Capitol Hill saying about this? Well, clearly, from my vantage point, especially looking out onto the crowd that was assembled below me of protesters, they had outnumbered Capitol Police. And uh, that was probably one reason why they managed to get into the Capitol. Now, uh, perhaps because why they weren't arrested or there wasn't a mass arrests uh, was because Capitol Police were so focused on evacuating uh, the vice president, uh, the House Speaker, the Senate Majority Leader, the, this group of people in the line of succession for president, and, uh, and then ultimately evacuating everyone else to safety before they could regain control of the Capitol and then even arrest anyone to begin with. You know, when we were able to watch those sessions of the House and Senate on television later, it, it almost looked you know, kind of normal, despite what we knew happened that day. But as you were able to walk through the building, both when you came back and the day after, did you notice anything that, that you know, seemed like remnants of what had happened? Oh, of course. When I left the Capitol, I saw um, New Jersey uh, Congressman Andy Kim himself in at one o'clock in the morning uh, in the Capitol, in the bowels of the Capitol, picking up trash that was left in the wreckage and just a few feet away from him was a broken window that had been boarded up glass still on the floor of uh, the trashed furniture that was used to, to break in was still laying on the floor it was kind of shocking because congress was already in session for hours at that point and you i had thought it had all been cleaned up and then when i got there and i saw firsthand how much destruction there still was and then the cleaning crews and then this congressman working to, to try his part to, to clean up uh uh, Congress. It was um, it was really um, a really sobering moment. You know, one of the things I haven't heard much about is be, because Congress was so busy with certifying the Electoral College vote was that, you know, you have the Senate Intelligence Committee, you have the House Intelligence Committee, you have many committees and many members of Congress dealing with classified information. Most of that is put away safely. But if you're not expecting the Capitol would be breached, and whether it's a staff member or a member of Congress, you know, sitting at their desk reading something or with the computer on looking at something, I just wonder about the national security dangers to what happened this week. You know, that's a good point because, remember, these these photos that we see of these trashed offices, uh, papers everywhere, documents uh, laying on the floor, how much of that was, was sensitive information? Um, did they take anything? Uh, did it take computers, for instance? Um, you know, who knows what exactly transpired? It was a breach of national security in all senses, uh, but perhaps it could have been a breach of national intelligence as well. Steve Dorsey is CBS News radio correspondent who was in the Capitol when it was overrun this week. Steve, glad you're all right. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Gil. You're listening to a special edition of America Changed Forever, Capital in Crisis from the CBS Audio Network. Welcome back to a special edition of America Change Forever, Capital in Crisis from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. The events this week in Washington were unlike any in our lifetime. Let's talk more about that. Margaret Brennan is moderator of Face the Nation of CBS News and the network's senior foreign affairs correspondent and previously a White House correspondent for CBS. 
You broke the story, Margaret, that cabinet secretaries and President Trump's administration were discussing invoking the 25th Amendment to remove him from office. What do we know about that? These are officials at the highest level of the Trump administration, senior administration officials who have been talking about this possibility that after the events that occurred in the U.S. Capitol, that it had a profound effect on them and their thinking and their concern about the president and his ability to continue leading. Uh, Some Republican congressional leaders have said that they'd be open to it. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean there's actually a process underway, Um, but this would be one way to get the president to leave office before January 20th. Uh, and for Vice President Mike Pence to step into the role for that limited period of time. Without going into the complex legal machinations of the 25th Amendment, you need a majority of the cabinet and, of course, the vice president to go along with this. And even then, the president can object if he does. After that, the vice president can run things for four days and then Congress has time to act. Then you need two thirds of both houses. It sounds like something that's almost too complex to get done in the little bit of remaining time of this administration. That may be well the case. Um, Same thing with impeachment, right? Uh, These kind of ways of Congress trying to force the hand or the cabinet members who are concerned trying to force the change. Uh, From what I understand, what happens and in the coming days will also continue to have an impact on people's understanding of just whether the president can continue to serve in a way that they feel confident in. Uh, for the next two weeks. That is to say, this upset isn't just about what happened. It's the president's own behavior, his thinking, the inability to influence him. There aren't a lot of top advisors that the president listens to right now. Uh, And so that concern, particularly from a national security perspective, is what has led to these extraordinary conversations. But as you are pointing out, the fact that the conversations are taking place doesn't mean they will result in an actual invocation of the 25th Amendment. But it is extraordinary that the conversation is being had in the first place and that the need potentially is being felt by top advisors to the president. These aren't Democrats. These are allies of the president who are concerned about what happened and what may happen. Uh, And and so there, there are a lot of moving parts in a dynamic situation. Very dynamic situation. You have the inauguration coming up. It was going to be scaled back anyhow, but that was because of COVID. Uh, You were a White House correspondent. I have sat uh, anchoring those uh, inaugurations over the years. We never worried much about security at these events. This would therefore be very, very different. There have always been uh, concern about some security threats from a, a foreign actor in particular, but never this kind of dual threat. Remember, we're also in the midst of a pandemic, and we've already had the Biden team warn that they don't think they can safely uh, put on some of the uh, orchestration that is typical of an inauguration because of the health risks to putting people together at the peak of a pandemic when we are looking at a strain of the virus that is more contagious than ever. Uh, And now you have this as well, uh, this overlay. Um, of concern about a a domestic bad actor. Um, It it is deeply concerning. That's why Mayor Bowser, the mayor of Washington, D.C., has put in place some uh, security measures for at least the next two weeks to get us through the inauguration. Um, And we know that Washington, D.C. police in in this federal city said, uh, you know, there was only one 
local resident among the 60 odd people that were arrested for their behavior um, and staging that siege. And so you were looking around and seeing that there are people who came here with an intent and exactly what that intent was, or maybe whether they've gone home, whether they continue to pose a threat is an open question. Let me go to your other field of expertise, which is foreign affairs as the network's senior foreign affairs correspondent. Let's talk about some of the reaction overseas. German Chancellor Angela Merkel said she's furious. And Boris Johnson, who is very closely attached to Trump, says that Trump encouraged, I'm quoting, encouraged people to storm the Capitol insofar as the president consistently has cast doubt on the outcome of a free and fair election. I believe that he was completely wrong. This kind of stuff coming from his friends is, is quite a blow to American standing overseas. It is a blow to American standing. Um, General Jim Mattis, retired General Jim Mattis, the former defense secretary, often said, you know, that America has the power of intimidation and inspiration. And he has worried for some time we are losing the ability to inspire. Um, And when that may sound a bit soft, but I think that really gets at the heart of what we think of ourselves as being as Americans, as a beacon of democracy, as the world's most powerful democracy as uh, an example setter to the rest of the world. We claim a moral authority. And that's what was interesting for me when I was talking to State Department officials on how they're explaining this to allies and to adversaries around the world and and what they're telling diplomats who have to represent all of us Americans overseas right now um, to that very question of has America lost its moral authority to lecture other countries on how they carry out their elections. And what they come back to is this idea that the institutions of our democracy have continued to function. Even though the president may be throwing sand in those gears, it took until four in the morning overnight, but members of the Senate, members of Congress, the vice president himself, who had you know been in a direct line of threat at one point earlier in the day, returned to make sure that the certification took place. This kind of ceremonial process that we've barely covered as a news event in the past, but is viewed as not just constitutionally required, but necessary as a signal to the rest of the country, to the rest of the world, that American democracy is continuing and that there will be a peaceful transfer of power on January 20th. Our hope is that it remains peaceful, but our diplomats and the people who represent America around the world are trying to explain that to other countries, that democracy can be really messy, but it's still alive. One of the things that uh, Joseph Biden is hoping to do as president is renegotiate a nuclear pact with Iran. President Trump tore up the one we had that prevented Iran from having nuclear weapons for 15 years. Now there's basically nothing. Recently, they they raised the enrichment rate of um, their nuclear materials to 20%, uh, which can be easily made into more than 90 in a matter of weeks if they choose. Probably the beginning of negotiations with the Biden administration. But just for the people of Iran, they have elections this year. They have to choose between Mm -hmm. the people who are in power now who want to do a deal with the United States with more radical people who are saying the United States is not reliable, A, because they tore up a pact, but B can now also say, look, look at the United States. I mean, this is not a reliable partner for a deal. How might this affect the United States in making pacts and being seen as a reliable partner overseas? 
America's reliability has been thrown into question for the past four years with the withdrawal from a number of different alliances and international agreements. Um, Joe Biden, as a candidate, promised to rejoin most of those accords. Uh, Joe Biden as president may face more difficulty in executing on some of that because the world has changed in the past four years. So for those who hope it's just hitting um, sort of refresh on the screen and going back to the Obama administration policies, they may face a very different reality when they get into those national security positions, that it's a different problem set. Um, it's same adversaries, different problem set in some ways. So it's going to be more complicated than just rejoining uh, the so-called JCPOA, that nuclear deal with Iran. Um, there is a broader set of challenges and there's also threats around the world. I mean, North Korea continues to be an actual nuclear power, not a potential one like Iran, which has uh, you know, even refuted that it's developing nuclear weapons and in the early stages of a nuclear program, North Korea actually has weaponry uh, and has been, you know, really developing throughout the, the Trump administration, despite the fact that they were engaging in diplomatic talks. There are threats around the world that is standard for commander in chief to walk into uh, a lot of that. But there's this bigger, broader question that really was raised even before President Trump of exactly what does America want to be in the world these days? Um, and how much do we really want to withdraw? And when will we use our military to uphold moral principles? Um, we didn't in, in Syria during the Obama administration. Uh, did we in the Trump administration? Where are our lines? I think that's a bigger, broader question for the American people right now. And for the rest of the world, they may well be asking, well, why would we want America to lead us? So this is that bigger, broader question of who is America and what do we want to be and how do we use that influence? And if we're not going to use intimidation, how do we get back the power of inspiration, uh, as General Mattis phrased it? You will hear all, more about all of this, of course, on Face the Nation from Margaret Brennan, who's also the network's senior foreign affairs correspondent. Margaret, I thank you so much for spending the time with us. Thanks so much for having me. You're listening to a special edition of America Changed Forever, Capital in Crisis, from the CBS Audio Network. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to this special edition of America Changed Forever, Capital in Crisis from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. This week we saw something that was almost impossible to imagine. The United States Capitol overrun with people 
walking out with parts of the Capitol building and pieces of the Senate and House seemingly unimpeded by Capitol Police. Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton is the delegate from the District of Columbia who, because of its unique status, cannot vote but serves on committees and can introduce legislation. And it's a pleasure to have you with us. How are you? My pleasure. I'm good. Good. This week marked your 31st year in Congress. Have you ever seen anything like this? I think I can say not only have I not seen anything like this, I'm not sure there's ever been anything like this in the uh, more than uh, 200 years that there's been a Congress of the United States. Well, I heard Mayor Muriel Bowser say that when she called Capitol Police earlier last week to see what preparations they had made for this week, they assured her they had something, but they would not share it with her. How does that make you feel? Well, that makes me understand why the there was an insurrection that uh, occurred in the Capitol with Capitol Police totally unprepared and there was no reason they should have been caught unawares. The president himself was a leader of the pack. Go wild, he said. And for several days running, he had urged people to come to the Capitol to do precisely what they did. The Capitol Police were caught flat-footed and had arranged for nothing. And remember, we closed the Capitol at the State of the Union. We caught, closed it at inauguration. Now, I'm sure Capitol Police were reluctant to go to the House and Senate leaders to say close the Capitol. But as they clean up the Capitol, I'm sure they wish they had. When Black Lives Matter protesters came to Washington, D.C. last summer, there were police in riot gear everywhere. Then Secretary of Defense Mark Esper said, we need to dominate the battle space. And um, asking dozens of governors to send their National Guard forces to the Capitol. Why do you think this was different? Yeah, the Capitol Police in particular have been on guard for Black Lives Matter uh, even though they have caused very little in the way of violence in our city, uh, why they would have um, made a difference between this and demonstrations and other and these demonstrations, it seems to me can only be said to be that these demonstrations were being egged on by the President of the United States. That was the big difference here. You are, as I introduced you at the top, uh, and as you've been introduced for three decades now, a congresswoman with no voting rights because D.C. is not a state, even though it has more population than Wyoming or Vermont, which both have two senators and a voting member of Congress. One of the things that seems to have played into what happened this week was the inability of the mayor to call out the National Guard. That was a major factor in this international embarrassment because of the time it takes to get anything done like that with D.C. as it go through various steps from sergeants at arms to the secretary of the Army and then into the White House. Does this incident and now the Democratic takeover of the Senate augur well possibly for D.C. statehood? It augurs well for D.C. statehood. And, it, and by the way, you don't even need statehood for the mayor to get control of the D.C. National Guard. I have a bill that I think could now pass the House and the Senate. That's simply a home rule bill. But the, the fact that we now control the House, the Senate, and the presidency does set us light years ahead for D.C. statehood. We were able to get the first D.C. statehood bill ever in June, and already uh, we now have control of the Senate. Any bill in this Congress, or most Congresses, has trouble getting through. But we certainly have moved rapidly when you consider the 219 years it took us to get here in the first place. You serve on the United States House Committee for on Oversight and Reform. Might that be a venue for an investigation of what happened this, this past week? There will 
be an investigation by our committee, and I'm a senior member of that committee, but I think we need much more than what I think you will see, which is multiple investigations by House and Senate committees. I believe we need a presidential commission. I believe what happened on Wednesday night rises to the level that caused us to set up the 9-11 Commission. When we were invaded from outside, we were now invaded from inside. We need to take that justice seriously, and we need a presidential commission. Uh, I'm calling for the president to appoint such a commission. Final thing, Congresswoman, uh, you go back to work at the Capitol. Uh, We've seen a week where people wearing shirts and cards with racist messages got into the Capitol building where temporarily somebody put up a gallows west of the Capitol. You saw what happened when people broke in, the Capitol Police unable to protect members of Congress. Are you going to feel safe going back in that building? Oh, yeah. And because of the failures, you're going to see people on guard in a way you've never seen them before. That's why need, we need a presidential commission, because that's not good enough. We need to find out exactly what went wrong and exactly what needs to be done to keep this from happening again. Congresswoman Eleanor Holmes Norton is the delegate from the District of Columbia. Congresswoman, I thank you for spending the time with us. My pleasure. You're listening to a special edition of America Changed Forever, Capital in Crisis, from the CBS Audio Network. This is a special edition of America Changed Forever, Capital in Crisis, from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. There are, of course, political aspects to what happened this week at the Capitol, both for the future of the GOP and the incoming Biden administration. Here to discuss that is Jamal Simmons, a CBS News contributor who, among other issues, analyzed Democratic Party strategies during this election, and Rich Galen, a columnist and Republican strategist and former press secretary to Vice President Dan Quayle and then Speaker of the House Newt Gingrich. And Jamal, let's start with you. You know, we saw something that was really... um about the most disturbing thing we could all witness, which was a bunch of insurrectionists going up into the Capitol. Um, the, the the two images that, that are very burnt into my mind, one is the uh, man walking around with a Confederate flag. As a friend of mine said, the Confederates, it took them, you know, 100 years plus, uh, but they finally taken the Capitol, 150 years. Um, the other one was the image of the protesters or the rioters or the insurrectionists trying to take down the American flag and raise a Trump flag. Uh, I think if there was ever a thought that these people were patriots or they were, you know, disaffected, you know, Republicans, they're not. They are Trumpistas who are willing to literally take down the American government legislature in order to support a renegade uh, wannabe tyrant who can't figure out how to pull it off. Rich Galen, what was the day like for you? I first noticed what was going on on social media, and I looked at some of the the still photography and some of the the uh, the handheld photography. And frankly, I thought it was either Iraq or Ukraine or photoshopped because I couldn't believe what I was looking at. The image that I got was of a tsunami. Remember that footage of the uh, New Year's Day tsunami in uh, in the in Southeast Asia, where the water just kind of came in. It looked like it was slow motion, but it just ran over everything. And that's what the crowd going into the Capitol looked like to me. There was people said, well, why didn't 
the magnetometers stopped them, but they just didn't pay attention to it. They just overwhelmed the cops, over ignored the the security activity, and just went wherever they wanted to go. And it was it was just breathtaking. Let's talk about the politics ahead and and where we are. I mean, one of the stories of 2021 was supposed to be the Democratic Party and a split between moderates and progressives. Well, the, the it's a great point and and it, again, it's another it's another example of why conventional wisdom is always wrong. Uh until, you know, until about a week or a week and a half ago, all the chatter was how will Biden deal with his progressive left? How far left will they try to drag him? And then suddenly, no, there there is no left to be dragged to because the center of uh, the center of gravity of the United States has shifted from slightly to the right of straight up and down to slightly to the left of right up, right of uh, straight up and down. And as you point out properly, there is uh, a a schism, not just a split, but a, it's at the Grand Canyon. Uh, and classic conservatives are on, are on one side. And Trump Republicans are on the other side, which can only mean that the Democrats, if they play their cards right, they can control the political future of the nation for decades to come. Because Republicans, until until Trump is no longer on the scene, Republicans will have an impossible task of trying to make believe he doesn't exist. Jamal Simmons, what do you think is the future of the GOP? Um, well, there are two things that one could wonder. One is, is this just the burgeoning of the new GOP? And does this force, this Trump force, is it is it really going to be what controls the Republican Party going forward? And so we're just going to have a nationalist party that is rooted in white supremacy um, and a very open white supremacy be the other uh, party in the United States. And then you have kind of this coalition party of the Democrats, which sounds an awful lot to me like South Africa, where, uh, you know, you have one multiracial uh, coalition party, the ANC, and then, um, you know, kind of a white nationalist set of parties that sit outside of it, um, which is not good for democracy, um, is not good for the future of the country. You need principled conservatives who are offering conservative ideas uh, to put forward and then have a discussion about liberal ideas versus conservative ideas. And let's figure out which one is the best one or how do we how do we rule the day? Well, let's take a look at what's happened, because there's, we've known for a while that there's been a tension between the classical conservatives of the Reagan Gingrich mold and followers of President Trump. That was demonstrated dramatically this week. Let's break this into some bite-sized chunks and start with the people who sacked the Capitol. How representative do you think they are of a party that is that committed to a single person, President Trump? Well, that's the nature of a cult, isn't it? it that that no matter what, and 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 I've got really good friends. I mean, these are these are people that are that are well respected. That are some are lawyers, and they truly believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And no matter what you say, they just, either they, they explain it away or they just say that they don't believe it, that I'm lying to them about. And that's the nature of a cult. I mean, the, the, the whole nature of religion is you have to take things on faith because you can't prove it. And with a cult, the things that you have to take on faith can sometimes be devastating not just to you, but to your family and to your culture. So it seems that you have some old line conservatives, say, you know, conservatives from the from the Bush years and and people like that. And now this group that is devoted to Trump, where the Republican Party is completely bifurcated. 
that that's a very um, that's a very astute observation. I think when you add into that these uh, Ted Cruz, Josh Hawley, uh, who are vying for leadership of this coalition, um, I think we're looking at there will be future Trumpists who are more able to navigate uh, power and are more reasonable and won't be doing all this sort of weird Twitter things that Donald Trump did. And the question is, will we sign up as a country? Will we sign up for a Josh Hawley led, you know, nationalist coalition or nationalist movement to be to take over the country again? If, if, if Mitch McConnell and the Republicans don't try to find a way to solve American problems with conservative ideas that they can push into the Biden administration and the Biden people are willing to sort of wrestle with them, I think all the institutions, the traditional institutions of American power are at stake. One of the things that we saw during what was supposed to be, you know, the the little more interesting than usual, but still fairly dull certification of the electoral college process was Mitch McConnell, who has ruled the Senate with a pretty iron grip and now will be Senate minority leader trying to get control of many members of his party in that Electoral College certification, got some back because of what happened to the Capitol attack, but you saw Josh Hawley, uh, you saw Ted Cruz pretty much brush McConnell aside, which brings up the question of the future effectiveness of the Republican Party during these early Biden years when the Democrats have a majority in the House and Senate and what this means for the GOP. Rich? Oh, there's nothing There's nothing worse than being the, the leader of the minority when the when the opposition has the presidency and both chambers of Congress. I mean, the, you have to go back a long way before you find somebody that, you know, some group, even even if you do have a majority, it's uh, it's difficult if you don't have the presidency. I mean, I, I was in Washington when, when Bill Clinton was president and Haley Barber was chairman of the Republican National Committee. And he was he was surrounded by Bob Dole in the Senate and Newt Gingrich in the House. And they had a tough time getting anything anything done. Rich Galen, Jamal Simmons, thank you both. Thank you. It's a pleasure. The, as they say with the old Irish toast, may we live in interesting times. You're listening to America Change Forever from the CBS Audio Network. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to a special edition of America Change Forever, Capital in Crisis from the CBS Audio Network. I'm Gil Gross. Votes are cast for the next president of the United States every four years on the first Tuesday after the first Monday in November. But the new president, of course, does not take office 
until January 20th. During those weeks, the administration of the president-elect and that of the sitting president are required by law to meet in order to facilitate a peaceful and efficient transfer of power. Some administrations have done a great job preparing the next administration to take office, and others, not so much. As you can tell from the events of the past week, this one's been a real problem. Peter Mayer served as White House correspondent for CBS News for 17 years, has been an eyewitness to multiple presidential transitions. And Peter, thank you for being here. How are you doing? Well, great to be with you, Gil. So even before the siege of the Capitol by disgruntled Trump supporters, this transition from the Trump administration to that of President-elect Biden is unlike any other in our lifetime. Where do you place this in your experience looking at the White House? Well, you know, I witnessed them from uh, Carter, from Jimmy Carter, all the way through Barack Obama. And this one has to be at the bottom of the list when it comes to lack of cooperation. Uh, the Trump side, I think, deserves a failing grade, Gill, for uh, first ignoring the need to cooperate and then doing so uh, so entirely grudgingly. I suppose the most concerning thing is the uh, reported initial lack of cooperation by the defense and the intelligence sectors. It almost goes without saying uh, the importance of those two areas of our government. The Biden people really needed to be brought up to speed on any pressing issues of concern uh, in the Pentagon and uh, the CIA and the whole long list of other, the alphabet of other intelligence agencies. Uh, there are things going on that we don't know anything about for obvious reasons. And the people in the Biden on the Biden team really needed to be brought up to speed. And there was just a lot of reported foot dragging uh, on the Pentagon side of the Trump people. Of course, we've had trouble transitions before, and in fact, some, at least one in particular, because of a disputed election result. When Al Gore contested the Florida results back in 2000, the administration of George W. Bush was constrained from the beginning in its preparations to take over the reins of power. How did they deal with that, and what effect did that interregnum shortened by lawsuits have in the early days of the Bush administration? Wow, you know, you're, you're talking about Florida and hanging chads and that whole long, drawn-out ordeal, Gil. Uh, Bush did receive classified briefings. Al Gore was already getting them as vice president at the time. Uh, but uh, as we look back at history, Gil, I recall that uh, the 9-11 Commission would find that this slow transition really hurt the new administration's ability to put their top officials in national security roles quickly. Uh, Bush, though, was able to lean on the expertise of veterans from his fathers and from the Reagan administration, people like former Secretary of State, former Treasury Secretary James Baker, and uh, former Secretary of State George Shultz, among others. So th that was a big help. Peter Mayer has been a journalist for more than four decades and served as White House correspondent for CBS News for 17 years. Peter, I thank you for adding your knowledge and viewpoints in all of this. You take care. Thank you, Gil. Privileged to be with you. This has been a special edition of America Changed Forever, Capital in Crisis, from the CBS Audio Network, produced by Paul Woody Woodhull and District Productive. I'm Gil Gross. Are you ready for an all-new season of Survivor? You better be, because Survivor 46 is here, and it's 90 minutes of twists and turns you don't want to miss. Better yet, after each episode, there's a brand new episode of On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. Each week, we go behind the scenes of the episode's biggest moments, taking you into the how and the why things happened. And this season, we're very lucky to be joined by an expert, the winner of Survivor 45, Devi Adaris. 
what is up? I'm thrilled to be joining this team and to be giving you my take on how and the why players made the moves they did, what it takes to outwit, outplay, and outlast, and to ask Jeff some questions because even after 26 days out there, there is still a lot for me to uncover. Bring it, D. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 